Growing Up Baby with Haley Zimak. New parents know that a baby will change just about everything. But what about your first baby of the fur variety? That sweet dog or cat that's been the center of your universe, at least up until now. How can you prepare them for this new addition? And what can you expect when baby develops from a sleepy bundle to a squirmy, squawky infant? I've long been a fan of the important work, support, and resources provided by the Toronto Humane Society. So I'm thrilled to have their program manager of public training services and care support, Beverly McKee. She shares her expertise on managing expectations and keeping both human and fur baby safe and well. Beverly, thanks so much for chatting today. Let's talk about how new parents can go about preparing their pets for the arrival of a new baby. What do you recommend? It really makes me excited when people uh, start thinking that way because our pets are our family too. And I think the first thing we need to think about is is routines are going to change. So they're definitely going to change for the parents of the new human coming into the home, but it's going to change for the pets as well. And like most sentient beings, I mean, we're very comfortable with routine and when routines change very suddenly, it can be distressing. So one of the things that we really love for people to think about is to even just make an itemized list. Now, I love lists. I can check off lists all day long and just be so happy. I know not everybody (laughs) does. And it's all you don't have other things to think about too. But what we want to do is we want to prepare our pets for changes that may occur in the routine. So some forethought to that can be really, really helpful. Like what's going to change? Are you going to be getting up in the middle of the night to feed? Are you going to have to feed your pet at different times a day based on what the baby schedule is? Um, Will the pet be suddenly not allowed on furniture when it was before? So these are all things you kind of need to give some forethought to. Then before the baby comes, like preferably like three months or so before, you can start getting the pet used to that by just creating these new routines. If you think you're going to get a dog walker, don't wait till the day that the baby gets home because that's another disruption to your routine. So give the dog... though it's a great thing to go with a dog walker, but it's still new and scary on top of other new, potentially scary things. So get that dog set up with that dog walker in advance so that, you know, the dog's got some structure. With cats, I mean, you're not going to send your cat out with a dog walker, hopefully, but, you know, the same thing, like cats can be very sensitive to changes in in environment and changes to routine. So giving some thought to that and what are the boundaries going to be and what's going to change? And then start to desensitize that animal and introduce that new structure well before baby comes home. Okay, great advice. I feel terrible asking this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you taper off or manage some of the affection or time that you spend with your pet? Okay, so that's a really great idea. And again, that speaks to setting up expectations in the pet and setting up routine with the pet. So I think that there should be thought given to that. And that's a really great question because I don't think people think about that, Haley. When am I going to spend time with that human-animal interaction to maintain or to make sure my animal knows that we still have a human-animal bond? So Thinking about that, yeah, I mean, we want the pet to know that when it's baby time, it's baby time. And, you know, we can teach pets in advance, too, that when I pick up baby, that's a cue for you to go settle on your mat. And I'll give you treats for doing it or give you a chew bone for doing it. But I want you to get used to that. But at the same time, when it's our time, think about when you're going to do that and how you can manage that. Like, is it when the baby goes down? You know, is it when if you have a partner in the home, can your partner take the baby and you take the animal for enrichment of whatever sort of enrichment is 
is appropriate for that animal. So yeah, you definitely do want to put aside time, but I think we want to teach that animal that it's okay to be independent at times. And that that's sort of a a behavior that can be trained. Okay. Um, I'm thinking for my own situation, we have a cat. He still comes up to us for cuddles, so no worries there. But my mom has a dog named Betty, and Betty has been my baby every time I've gone there. So now when I go there, it's with my actual human baby. I didn't pre-train, unfortunately, um, that I'm speaking to about five months too late, but I try to still get down on the floor with her, you know, cuddle her, play with her. But honestly, when she sees that baby and me with him, she just looks so dejected, you know, eyes down. And and I, I feel awful about it. I feel really, really guilty. Um, so I guess I need to kind of manage my own expectation as well that she's reacting to my action. Yeah, I mean, they can certainly, you know, display a lot of attention seeking behavior and be, you know, disappointed for lack of another word, if they can't get that attention at any time. But I don't think it's too late to start training that what we want to do is build a history of reinforcement for Betty, you know, make it more of a a solicited from you attention time. And then when attention time is over, then Betty can go lie in her bed, have a peanut butter stuffed Kong or, you know, if that's an appropriate thing. One of the really elegant training things I like to look at in a, in a training plan, and I mean, every trainer is going to have their, their ways of liking to do things, but generally I want the action of me picking up the baby to be a signal to that animal. Okay, go over there. You're going to get your Kong and relax. And we, we train that in advance and we can train that in advance. You would train that without a baby first. And often, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty methodical about my training. I'd, um, proof it with a with a toy like with a doll until the dog understood that when I when I pick up that baby I'm going to go right to my mat because I have such a history of reinforcement you know one of the things we worry about with newborn babies and and parents coming home is you come home and you're holding this like tiny little creature and your dog jumps up on you and you know the dog doesn't really mean any harm but that baby is pretty fragile at that Mm -hmm. time and you don't really want a dog jumping up on them so you can actually train the dog to automatically sit when you pick up the baby as well but we have to build that history of reinforcement prior to sort of just showing up with a baby and then you're in a situation where you're saying no 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 and you don't want to do that because then the dog is going to associate the baby with oh no I got in trouble every time the baby shows up it's going to create a, a conditioned response that kind of translates to ooh baby means I get in trouble therefore I don't really like the baby there is a training specialization at the Toronto Humane Society and it can help parents prepare for all the what ifs and and come up with a plan which is great but I do want to get into some of the other advice you'd have for parents who want to give it a shot themselves before seeking formal training what should they know you know any species of animal like a cat I'm going to speak specifically to cats and dogs used to the sights sounds and smells of what the baby is going to represent. So one of the things I like to do is, um, you know, what are common smells that come with babies? So for me, the smells are baby powder or baby lotion. Can you introduce those smells and pair them with really special treats so that when the dog smells that or the cat smells that, they immediately think good things because when you pair a stimulus with a primary reinforcer, which is food, that creates a pleasant association. So if I have to go to the dentist and the dentist gives me a piece of chocolate cake, I'm going to immediately have a pleasant association with the dentist. And that's a really silly, you know, example. <laughs> well, because you're getting your cavities filled. Chocolate cake is probably why I had to go to the dentist in the first yeah. place. You know, that's, that's just... Um, classical conditioning to create a pleasant association. And then one of the other things that might disturb the animal, well, a baby crying might disturb that animal. So at the same time, what you can do is you can go on YouTube and play recordings of sounds that babies make, like 
crying or gurgling or laughing or what have you. And you can also play that at a, you know, not a shrill level where the dog is going to go, you know, oh my goodness, the sky is falling, but just introduce those noises and gradually work up to a real life volume and pair that with really yummy treats. And again, we're creating associations so that if, you know, when the baby comes home and it does cry, the dog's not going to freak out going, oh my goodness, the sky is falling. One of the things that you, that is kind of universally suggested is when you're bringing the baby home for the first time, that mom goes and greets the dog without the baby or the cat without the baby first and gives them a little time and then says, okay, now we've had our interaction. I'm going to go get the baby. And the, the, you know, again, and you're setting that sort of like bookmark to now's your time and now's the baby's time. And, and you can start building that. And as long as you reinforce the animal for good behavior and reinforce the animal for making good choices and what, and, you know, and giving them some guidelines is what you want to do. That can be very smooth. And then think about what it is your animal is doing right now. Like not dogs don't come pre-programmed, cats don't come pre-programmed. So what can we train them to do that we need them to do? So when we think about animal training, we don't think about stopping behavior. We think about going, okay, well, this is the behavior that they're showing us now. We need to teach them an alternative behavior. So let's start teaching them that now. And then, you know, when you pick up the baby and go sit in your nursing chair, the dog knows, okay, well, that's a signal for me to go lie on my mat across the room. And I'm, I'm going to be very happy doing that because I have a huge history of reinforcement and doing so because I've been trained to do so. You can actually teach that behavior to a cat too. It depends on, you know, how much bandwidth do you have to give to it, but I think it's time well spent. Luke agrees. Luke would like to say hello. <laughs> hello, Luke. Um, He's like, I would like more peanut butter, please. <laughs> he would like more peanut butter. And I hope his vet isn't listening because Luke has got a little chub problem. Uh, more to love, more to love. <laughs> more to love, exactly. The other thing, you know, we need to think about is if you have an animal that is showing behavioral concerns before you are bringing your baby home, you need to address that beforehand. And I really suggest that in that case, if you have an animal that is fearful of little things that move quickly, you might want to give some thought to engaging with a certified animal trainer and say, you know, what can I do? Because you're going to want to look at management. Mm. And then again, that, that preparation for when the baby starts toddling around and throwing food. I mean, one of the great things about babies is by the time they get to the high chair and are feeding themselves, they tend to fling food everywhere. It always makes me very happy because then I think, oh, the baby's doing its classical conditioning itself, right? Like the dog is, or, you know, the dog or the cat is associating the baby in the high chair with, if I sit on the floor right beside them, food is going to rain from the sky and it's going to be amazing. And so we have this wonderful classical conditioning happening right there where the, where the animal starts making these great associations to the baby. And you can do that with a newborn by simply going, okay, I've got the newborn in my arms. I'm going to toss some food for the dog to go find across the room. You don't want to give the, the dog treats from your hand while you're holding a baby in case the dog jumps up. So I always say, just toss it. And then it turns into a fun game of, oh, I get to go find it too, which appeals to a dog because they get to forage then. And when talking about general pet safety around babies and young children, can you share some of the warning signs that we should be looking out for? You know, that something is just, something's not quite right. It's really good to recognize, I mean, you know your animal, you can certainly study up on animal body language, because one of the things that can be really, really, really distressing is um, if that animal growls at your child. And I recognize that 100%, because then you suddenly have a situation where you're, you know, I'm going to speak to dogs 
right now, but where your dog is clearly saying, I don't like this child. And that can be really distressing. And that could be sudden onset because it could have, you know, the baby might've done something that scared the dog. So learning the early signs of discomfort, which can even just be body posture. Like, you know, you, you, you mentioned Betty who is showing you very clear signs of distress. So that is a sign for me to go, okay, we need to start creating those positive associations before it becomes a growl. Now, it doesn't always become a growl. Sometimes it just, you know, stays at the level it is, but we need to be able to recognize those early signs of communication from the animal so that we can address it before the animal sort of gets hypersensitized or starts getting hypersensitized. And then we have to actually do some pretty hard work there to, to change that animal's mind again. So if there are any parents out there and they do have a situation where their animal has growled, I do urge that that's not a look it up on the internet problem. That's a call a trainer problem. And I'm not, you know, obviously doing an upsell here. It's just something I believe very strongly in. And then a management strategy can be put together. I do not really love, unless there's a huge history of, um, you know, really great relationship over, over quite a long time between a dog and a baby. I do not love throwing a baby on the floor in the blanket and having a dog unsupervised with that baby. I always want active supervision. So I'm not saying you can't do it. You know, your dog, you know, your cat, but you want to be actively supervising. It can't be the dog and baby playing on the, on the floor well, you've got your back turned and you're loading the dishwasher, for example, because the baby's behavior changes as they go through their infancy into toddler stage. And um, you want to make sure that the baby's movements or actions are not suddenly going to, to frighten the animal. Animals don't really love being grabbed. And we see videos on TikTok and videos on YouTube and all over the internet. Oh, look, it's so cute. And you see a baby grabbing a dog's ear and the dog sort of sitting there tolerating it. Sometimes we see the dog panting and it looks like it's smiling, but that's actually what we call a clown grin. Like their face is so tense and the panting is stress panting. And to me, that's always kind of just, oh, wow, we're really, we're kind of misreading the body language here. So, you know, this animal needs a break. It's fine to put that animal behind a barrier somewhere give that animal their peanut butter pong or their bully stick, or even just give them a break and recognize that. And that's going to do you a world of good. Christina and her husband, Jake, in Edmonton can attest to that world of good. That hard work pays off. Mind you, a dog with a sweet disposition and committed owners definitely helps too. They got their pandemic puppy, Mabel, in 2020, which was then followed by a pandemic baby named Finley at the very beginning of 2022. There's Grandma Mabel on your bed. Go. Good, listen. Sit. Okay. Good job. Good. Good. Christina, thanks for sharing your experience and how you prepared your one and a half year old lab retriever, one of the loves of your life, uh, to integrate with your new baby girl. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you call her the love of my life because she fully is. <laughs> um, so when we decided to get a pandemic puppy, knowing that, you know, it, we were both working from home and it was like kind of the perfect time to get one. I learned that labs are like the number one, one of the most popular family dogs in North America. 
and still they are working dogs. They're super active. They need a lot, a lot of care and attention in terms of managing their energy. And so this was all prior to having our daughter. Um, because honestly, when we got her as a puppy, you could tell right away that if she wasn't exercised and properly trained in the ways that we needed, she would destroy our house. Managing her energy was something we had to make priority from day one. And it's really paid off with our newborn. That's great. And I know you did puppy obedience for her to help manage and focus the energy. Um, in terms of tactics, you're you're a fan of positive reinforcement, aren't you? Oh, it was like it saved our lives, honestly. People ask us a lot, like, how's um, the integration been with Finley and Mabel? And it's honestly been better than we could have asked, like truly. Like the reward system for Mabel's really makes it really easy for her to, to fall in line when we need her to. I grew up in kind of like you know, the positive reinforcement concept for dogs is a bit newer to me. And I'm so thankful for it because it's such a, it's a lot more work to positive reinforce behavior in animals, but it's so much, it's just such a better experience in terms of my, you know, my heart mm-hmm. <laughs> that I don't have to be sort of aggressive and negative and like constantly assert myself as the owner of this dog. Like the positive reinforcement is something that is, you have to practice ongoing. And then it really pays off when you need to distract the dog or get them to like focus, go to their place sort of thing. And so yeah. what we did with Mabel and Finley, when we came back from the hospital, uh, Jake came back from picking up Mabel from his sister's he went upstairs to manage Finley. I came downstairs with a blanket that smelled like Finley from the hospital and stayed with Mabel and got her sillies out because she hadn't seen us in five days. <laughs> got her sillies out. <laughs> I love she that. was so curious about the blanket. And then once she was calm enough and once like I would reward her a little bit, like every time she would smell the blanket and not like try to play with it, I would give her a treat. Okay. Um, every time she was like, once she was chill enough, um, we put Finley in her bassinet to provide a bit of a height difference between the two because we didn't know how Mabel was going to react, but we were really, really hopeful and kind of optimistic that it would be okay and fully ready to make changes if we had to. And also like between you and me and your listeners, like, like the thought of having to like not have Mabel in our, in our family was not an option. If that makes sense, we're ready to do everything we needed to do, bring in a trainer, do whatever we needed to do to make sure that Mabel and Finley could live together. And luckily from day one, Mabel has only been so sweet and so kind and just curious about Finley to the point where like now she just like walks by her and gives her a lick on the foot and then keeps going. Wow. Well, and you say luckily, but also crediting yourselves and the work you did and the disposition of your dog too. So did it take her a while to get used to this new bundle in your home? Like how were you guys in terms of allowing the dog to get close and sniff and lick and things like that in those early days? Very good question. I feel like it's still early days in a lot of ways. Fair enough. I mean, it is only, but you know how eight weeks can also feel like eight years? Like, yeah. Okay. (laughs) I think that, no, I agree with you. And it's what I mean by that is like, I don't think we'll ever leave Mabel alone with Finley. As much as I love Mabel and I adore this dog, she's still an animal and we need to make sure that that's respected. Right. I always look for signs of stress in an animal. And so when they, when they first met and there was, you know, Mabel was very, very curious, very, very interested and like very concerned. And I, I learned in hindsight now that she probably, that Finley probably smelled like me, which is an interesting thing. And so we, we sometimes think that Mabel is protective of Finley. Um, we work with that in a way, but what we have to remember, and I kind of like make jokes when Mabel gets a little too protective and a little too eager is like, I'm like, Mabel, what are you doing? You don't have thumbs. Like you can't parent this baby. You're not the mom. (laughs) We look for those signs of stress, which I've never seen with Mabel. And I'm really thankful for that. So dogs will sometimes shake their ears. They'll start to sneeze. 
Um, they'll, they'll do things like pace and like pant if they need to manage their stress. And we were looking for that anytime I was holding Finley or Jake was holding Finley. And luckily we never saw those things. We would just, what we do have to manage though, is like when I'm feeding or when, um, Finley is cooing or like in her swing that Mabel wants to come up and like lick her a lot. Mm. <laughs> and so what we do there, and like, you probably even heard me what, before we started the interview, like Mabel kind of gets in her face and I have to tell her off or tell her to go to her bed, things like that. Yeah. Are you still using treats with those types of commands or food? Or is it now to the point where you can say a command like that, like off or leave her be or something, and she'll do it without um, that positive reinforcement of a, a treat or food? When it's just the four of us in the house, we don't really need to use treats anymore. I think this is a, p- a pandemic puppy trait that we always have treats and like lick mats and long-term like chews on hand when a new person is coming into our house and is going to be holding Finley because we've noticed that Mabel is just really protective of us. She's never aggressive, but she wants to like get in on the action. I am a dog person at heart. I have, I've had cats for the last little bit. So I have to ask you and the name sounds self-explanatory, but I've never heard of a lick mat. It's the best, basically a plastic mat that's kind of ridged and you can put peanut butter or like pumpkin puree or um, some people put Greek yogurt. I've been using cheese whiz lately because it's just been easy. It's not like an instant treat gratification. It's like a longer term thing, helps them get some energy out, some focus. I'm so happy to hear about the successful training. Did you guys face any challenges though with Mabel? There have been a couple. We have, um, we were really lucky and we made the decision early on in our pregnancy to hire a, um, a postpartum doula twice a week for nights, like overnight shifts. Our doula will come at 11 o'clock at night and leave at seven. And we learn pretty quickly that like, she's really good with dogs. She has her own dog and she would start playing tug of war with Mabel. You cannot rile this dog up and then leave kind of thing. Like if Mabel wants to play, she can play for hours. And so she went, we had a situation where she went from like saying hello to Mabel and making sure she was friendly and like, you know, getting to know her and then going to um, tend to the baby and Mabel kind of got mixed signals and was sort of getting really, really jumpy and really, really like not aggressive, but really hyper. And it spooked us a little bit because um, she kind of jumped up and she didn't bite or anything, but we were like, oh my God, if she's hyper enough, like, will she bite the baby? Because mm-hmm. you never know, like a tug of war game is pretty aggressive, right? Yeah. Um, and I wonder too, if it was even a little bit of jealousy, like you come oh, in, yeah. you're playing with me. And then all of a sudden you're dropping the tug of war toy, you're walking over and now your focus is as it should be, as you've hired her for completely on that baby. Now it's exact. That's exactly it. And so we did work around that, like with, um, just asking our doula not to, not to play with Mabel to ignore her when she starts to jump up and say hello. And we also, um, sometimes, in the morning shift, like at the 7 a.m. when when Mabel wakes up and um, the doula is like getting ready to leave and things, we put Mabel in her crate. Um, and that's something I should mention too. We, we have a crate system that we use and that we've kept. We will crate Mabel if she's getting too energetic or she's not listening to us or she's kind of um, needs a bit of a reset. And I know you plan to take her back to agility classes. Do you have any other suggestions or advice for fellow parents? So if you're like me, and, you know, the pandemic puppy in your life or your, your animal has a special place in your heart where they like, you know, are the source of your stress relief and all of the things that are good in the world. I think it's really, really important to also remember as first time parents who are introducing a newborn 
into the dynamic with a dog is that you need to understand that the baby is coming into the dog space. And for us, I think it's to remember that the pet, like your pet, your beloved pet is an animal and to pay attention to those signs and signals that they're giving if they're stressed, if they're concerned, if there's anything that they're showing, just keep in mind that you, you have like, you know, as many tools as you have to manage your dog and your dog's disposition will set you up for success with your family. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please download, subscribe, follow, and share. Get in touch through email, growingupbabypodcast at gmail.com. Conversations may be edited for length and clarity. The information, opinions, and recommendations in this podcast are for general informational purposes only. The information is not intended to replace or serve as a substitute for professional advice, consultation, or service. Until next time.